Heavenly Father, we ask that you would send the Holy Spirit to us now to keep the evil one far from us, so that we may keep your commands and not stumble. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we continue our series in the book of Matthew's Gospel today, looking at Matthew chapter 8. We've been working our way through it, and we've seen that Christ has done some tremendous things since his baptism. Uh, He's baptised back in chapter 3 with John the Baptist, and then we've seen uh, that he did many miracles, even in chapter 4. Chapter 5, 6, and 7, he preaches an amazing sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, which has gone down in history as one of the as the greatest sermon probably ever preached, uh, and of course it's uh, paralleled with uh, the Sermon on the Plain. And then he's been doing other miracles in chapter eight. Uh, he has healed a man with leprosy. Uh, he has healed uh, a sick servant of a Gentile, and he's healed uh, Peter's mother-in-law of a fever. And so he's been doing these amazing works. And he's also been giving amazing words. Words and works have been performed by the Lord Jesus. And as a result, what is happening? Large crowds are following Jesus Christ. Large crowds are following him. And so what does Jesus start to do as these crowds are coming towards him? Well, he starts to leave the crowds and cross over to the other side of the lake in the Sea of Galilee. Uh, We read that in verse 18. When Jesus saw the crowds around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. And so Jesus is starting to get into a boat to go over to the other side. And who wants to go with Jesus as he decides to leave the crowds? Well, we see a teacher of the law in verse 19 comes up to him and says, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And that's what we looked at last week was this teacher of the law, also known as a scribe. Uh, He said, I will go with you wherever you go. Now, why would this man be so eager to leave with the Lord Jesus to go into a boat with him? Well, it's probable that he was thinking that Jesus would be treated as one of the great rabbis of the land, given the amazing words and the amazing works that he's doing, and rabbis were treated very well, and so were their students. Uh, And so this man is probably hoping that by getting uh, close to Jesus and following him wherever he goes, he will benefit as well. But what does Jesus say to him? What did we see last week? He said to this man that following me, me will mean a hard life. We see in verse uh, 20, he says, Jesus replied, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Jesus is very honest with this man. My life is a hard life. And following me will mean a hard life for you as well. And so we unpacked that last week. But as Jesus gets into this boat to leave to the other side of the lake, who else comes up to him? Who else speaks to him? Well, it's another disciple. We read in verse 21, another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. This man has come to Jesus and said that I will follow you, but firstly, I need to attend to some important business. What is that business that this man needs to attend to? It is burying his father. But what does Jesus say in response? What does Jesus say? He says in verse 22, Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Let the dead bury their own dead. What is Jesus saying to this man? Well, he's saying, let the spiritually dead bury the physically dead and come and follow me. This understanding of Jesus, the word dead there, and there's a play on the meanings of it, but basically saying that those who are not following me are spiritually dead. We understand this in other parts of scripture, that the word dead can be used to refer to people who are very much alive physically, but spiritually they are dead. And he's saying those people who are spiritually dead can take care of the dead that are physically dead. 
What you need to do is concentrate on following me. Now, doesn't this seem harsh of the Lord Jesus to tell this man to not worry about the death of his father, to just concentrate on following him? Doesn't God want us to love our families and show respect to our parents, even the respect that we should show them even once they are gone, once they physically died? Well, as we look at Lord Jesus' words here, I think it's good for us to try and understand a little bit better as to what he is saying there so that we we don't come across uh, with this view of him and don't judge misjudge Jesus and think that he is being unduly harsh. And so there's different explanations that have been put forward to understand the Lord's words here when he says, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. What is one explanation of this? Well, our first reaction when we read these words is to think that the man's father has just died and he wants to go home and he wants to bury the man and then he will come and follow the Lord Jesus. But that's highly unlikely. It's highly unlikely that the man's father has just died and needs immediate burial. Because the Jewish custom was, if someone died, that you would bury them quickly, that you would bury them within 24 hours. And so if this man's father has just died, why is he following the Lord Jesus around the countryside with large crowds? He would be at home. If his father died in the last 24 hours, he would be at home. He wouldn't be following Jesus around with crowds and saying, please let me go home and bury my father in the next eight hours or so, and then I will come and follow you. So what's the man asking for? Well, it may be that he's asking for up to a year to be given to him, a year of grace before he will come and follow Jesus. And what would that year be? It would be a year from when his father died, and let's say his father died in the last few weeks, He's been buried, but what was the Jewish practice? The Jewish practice was after about a year, they would actually bring the coffin back up and they would open it and they would gather the bones and they would put them in a smaller box. And we even see some of these boxes have been unearthed today from the first century and you can see them in the museums over in Israel. I've seen one of those there that's meant to be of Caiaphas. Uh, Not necessarily that it is the case, but there's a tradition that it is. But there's these smaller boxes that would never fit a full human body, but they would fit the bones of the person that you cared for. And that was the Jewish practice. And so this man, he may not be asking for 24 hours to go home and bury his father, but he's asking for a year. Can you give me a year to wait until I can go through the whole Jewish burial custom and then put into practice what I should do in paying respect to my father and making sure that he's in one of those smaller boxes. But what's far more likely? What's far more likely that this man wants? Well, the man probably wants to wait until his father, who is living, dies. And then he would come and follow Jesus. His father is probably still very much alive. But what the man is wanting is Jesus to give him grace and so that he can wait until his father dies and then he would come and follow Jesus. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means that he may not end up following Jesus for years. Some parents, even if they're fairly unwell, can hang on for some time. Some parents are dying always and then they end up outliving their children who are healthy. This man, when he asks for time so that his father can die and he can pay his respects, may ask be asking for many years. Now, is it surprising that the man would want to be there bearing his father before following Jesus? No, it's not that surprising. Why? Because, of course, the man wants to show respect to his father. He doesn't want to go off following Jesus wherever he goes, which may mean that he's far away from home 
and therefore doesn't get to be there for his father's burial and show respect to him and his father at the last moments of his life and to be there for the funeral. After all, first commandment in the second table of the Ten Commandments is honour your parents, honour your mother and father. So, of course, he would want to honour his father, as the law of God says, by showing respect at his funeral. But what's the other reason that this man might be so keen to be there for the burial of his father? Well, it may be that he's keen to make sure he gets his inheritance. If you leave Dad and go gallivanting off over the countryside for months, maybe years, what might happen? Dad might cut you out of his will. My son's left. He's gone away. I don't know when he'll come back. Some son of mine... I know what I'll do. I won't leave him any inheritance. Quite probable. And what's the other problem if you're away when your father dies? Well, it may be that the executor of the will doesn't pass on the inheritance that you deserve. Whereas if you're there for the death of your father and you're the executor of his estate, you'll make sure you get your right portion of the inheritance. And so this man may be very keen to be there for the death of his father so that he can show respect to his father, but it may also be that he's very concerned about his inheritance. And so he's saying, Jesus, give me some time. I will come and follow you in due course, but first let me make sure I sort out my family matters and make sure that I'm there for the respect of my father, but also that I make sure that I get my inheritance. And so what's Jesus saying to the man then? He's saying to him, let others bury the dead. Get your priorities right. Get your priorities right. What should be first in our lives according to Jesus? It's following him, following Jesus, even before family funerals, being there for family funerals, which is an amazing thing for a Middle Eastern man to say to other Middle Eastern men. I was reading a commentary this week and I heard and the commentator was saying that uh, he was speaking about this. He was a, a Bible college lecturer and he had some students there and he said the words of Jesus there and this Bible college student had never heard these before, but he was a Middle Eastern background And he went completely white at hearing these words, let the dead bury their own dead. It is a profound statement for Jesus to say, don't worry about your family, come follow me. But Jesus is saying, get your priorities right. Following Jesus is even more important than family funerals. And Jesus says something similar in Luke's gospel. In Luke chapter 14, verse 26, he says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Earth-shattering words to people who have been trained from a young age to love their father and mother, their wife and children, their brothers and sisters, and to love their own lives, to look after their own lives. It's a natural thing that we have. But Jesus says... You must hate your father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, even your own life if you wish to be my disciple. But what's Jesus saying there? Because the word hate is a very strong word. In the the culture of the time, the word hate would mean prefer. And what's he saying? He's then saying, you must prefer me. You must put me first before your father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, even your own life. Now, why would he say this? Why would following Jesus be the number one priority for mankind? Well, it's because by following Jesus is true life and true joy, which is the great desire of man, is to live, to have eternal life, and to have that joy 
that continues through our life to be happy. Whereas what is family? What is family? Family are people who are dying. And that's what Jesus is saying in the text. Which means what? Family cannot give life and joy. They cannot give true life and true joy. Who can? It's Jesus. Why? Because Jesus died for the sins of those who follow him in order to give them eternal life. Jesus says in John chapter 11, verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. Jesus has power to raise people from the dead. And therefore, he is the one that we should be following. Jesus' followers will have true joy and live forever. And they can enjoy this world, they can enjoy family, but they enjoy them with thankfulness as gifts from God, under God, under Jesus Christ. So what's Jesus saying to this man here? He's saying, leave the land of the dying. Leave the land of the dying and enter into the land of the living. That's what you do when you start following me. You enter into the land of the living and leave the land of the dying. As we read this text, after we start to understand what the man is asking, what should our feeling be towards him? Our feeling really should be one of pity for the man who wanted to bury his father before following Jesus. Why? The man just clearly doesn't understand the the state that he is in. The state that he is in. What is that state? A dying state. If he does not follow Jesus, he dies in his sins. If he does not follow Jesus, he dies with the others who are dying around him. So the man clearly doesn't understand his state, so we should pity him. But why else should we pity him? It's because the man clearly doesn't see who Jesus is. He doesn't understand who is this man before him. And so therefore he prefers his father to Jesus Christ. But who is Jesus? Who is this man that that has been in the presence of this other man? Who is Jesus Christ? Well, we can understand from the scriptures as to who Jesus is. This man didn't see it, but we can see it. Look with me at Revelation chapter 1. Turn with me to page 1215, Revelation chapter 1, where we get an account from the Apostle John as to what he saw of the Lord Jesus. Page 1215, Revelation chapter 1, reading from verse 12. Revelation chapter 1, reading from verse 12, where the Apostle John says, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. This is Jesus Christ. This is him in his glory there as the Apostle John sees him. And so what was the man's problem back in Matthew chapter 8? The man's problem is he couldn't see Christ's glory. He didn't understand who was before him. And so therefore, it looked like being with dad was better for now. 
and I shouldn't be with Jesus at this time. Nothing should have stopped the man from seizing the opportunity that was before him to follow Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Son of Man, the King of Kings, was right before this man. And he didn't comprehend it and said, best I go be with Dad, possibly for a few years, and then I will come and follow you. And sadly, many today are the same. I like this second man. It's interesting, we've got two men here in Matthew chapter 8, and they're basically two ends of the spectrum. One is too keen to follow Jesus, and Jesus has to tell him to calm down, be aware that it'll be a life of suffering. And this other man is not keen enough. And Jesus needs to speed him up a bit. He needs to slow one man down and speed up the other man. Sadly, this is the case for people today as well. That many people today are like that second man. How so? They marvel at Christ's words and works. They will read the pages of the scriptures, they will see his works, his miracles, and they will believe that Jesus did these miracles. They will see his words and believe that they are good and wholesome. They'll read the Sermon on the Mount and say, this is good teaching. This is a good standard for mankind to live by. They will marvel at Jesus, his words and his works. But what do they do? They make excuses why they can't follow Jesus just yet. What sort of excuses do people make? Well, first, I need to sort out my possessions, my house, my car, my garden. I need to get things sorted around my place. I need Lord Jesus. Give me permission first. Before I start really following you, let me get a roof over my head. What other excuses do people make? Well, they often need to sort out their work first. I need to complete my studies before I start really following Jesus. I need to get my degree. I need to get a job first. I need to work my way up in my workplace. Or I need to start my own business. And then I can come and follow you, Jesus. First, let me get a cash flow going, Jesus. Give me permission to get that cash flow. And then I will follow you, Jesus. And what other excuses do people make? Well, the kind of excuse that we see here in the pages of Matthew chapter 8. And they need to sort out their relationships first. They need to look after their parents first. They need to get a spouse first. They need to train their kids first. Kids are a handful. Lord Jesus, give me permission to first get a good community around me, to sort out my relationships and get settled before I will follow you. And it may be years. And it may be never. Because... Sorting out those relationships, getting the cash flow, getting the possessions sorted. Can you ever get to a state where you say, I am done and everything is right? And what does Jesus say to such people? You'll not taste my wedding banquet. That's what he says in Luke chapter 14. Turn with me now to Luke chapter 14, page 1034. Page 1034 of the church Bibles. Luke chapter 14, and we'll read from verse 15. Luke chapter 14, reading from verse 15. This actually is a parable that he tells just before he says that statement that I made, uh, I read out before from Luke chapter 14. In verse 26, it says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. But he tells this parable immediately before this. 
Luke chapter 14, reading from verse 15, page 1034. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. And then verse 16, Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Why won't the excuse makers get a taste of Christ's banquet? Because they put dead things before living things in this world. So they will continue to live in the land of the dying, now and always in hell. And they will miss the eternal joy that comes of feasting in the kingdom of God in heaven itself. So what about you? Have you always had a good excuse why you shouldn't be following Jesus? You're happy to praise Jesus, his word and his works. You even like the Bible. But there's always something that needs attending to first before you will commit your life to him. Do you realise what you're doing? That you're putting whatever it is before God himself, before the Son of God, before the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. And if you continue to do so, if you continue to make excuses why you won't follow Jesus, what will happen to you? You will remain in the land of the dying now and for eternity. Why? Because your possessions, your work, your relationships, whatever it is that you're putting before Jesus cannot give you eternal life and they cannot give you joy. It doesn't matter what you own, what job you have and how much cash flow you can get from that job or how good your family is. They cannot give you eternal life. They cannot give you everlasting joy. Yes, they can give you joy, but only if received as secondary gifts from the one who is primary, from God himself, from Jesus Christ. If you have Jesus Christ first, you can still enjoy your family. You can still enjoy your home and the things that God gives you. You can still enjoy your work. But as precious gifts from him and not as your ultimate joy, but as things that have their joy, that have life from the one who gives them life. So I pity you too if you praise Jesus Christ but pass up following Jesus Christ today too. Why? You don't realise the state you're in. You don't realise that you are dying, that you're amongst the dying and you're prioritising dead things. They have no life if they're apart from Christ Jesus. And why else do I pity you? You don't realise what you're passing up, who you're passing up, 
today if you do not follow Jesus Christ. Who is Jesus Christ? He's the Son of God. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And he is the one who has loved those who are sinners by willingly going and dying on a cross in their place. That is the one you are passing up. Philippians chapter 2 has so clearly a, a description of who Jesus is and the love of him. It says in Philippians chapter 2 verse 6, who being in very nature God, God himself, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. This is the one you're passing up, one who would die on a cross for his people. And therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is who you're passing up if you do not follow Jesus Christ today. And so my encouragement to you is to stop making excuses. Stop making excuses. And start following Jesus by faith today, trusting in Jesus above everything else in your life. And for us who have committed to following Jesus, what must we do in light of this passage? Well, we must keep Christ first. We must keep Christ first by the power of the Holy Spirit. Why do we need to work at keeping Christ first? Because the sinful nature, the dead part of us, is still there. And it still tries to put things first before Jesus Christ. It still tries to make excuses as to why we shouldn't follow Jesus Christ in different moments through our days. When do we see such excuses coming through? When do we see such excuses? It's usually when we should be attending, we should be at corporate worship or private worship. Worshipping God in private, worshipping Jesus in private, reading his word, praying to him on our own or with others. That's when we see those excuses coming through. What are the excuses? Well, it's usually concern for possessions, concern for work, concern for relationships. Just like we see with those who don't want to follow Jesus at all. We see that our sinful nature still loves to prioritise those things over Jesus Christ. If we want to find an excuse as to why we shouldn't be at worship, we can always find one. So how do we keep Christ first? How do we as Christians keep following Jesus Christ and don't say to Jesus, first Lord, let me do this, this and this, and then I will come and pray to you. I'll come and read your word. I will come and be with your people. How do we keep Christ first? Well, we must, by the power of the Holy Spirit who opens our eyes to these things, view possessions and work and other people rightly. What is the right view? Well, without God, they have no life in themselves. They have no life and will one day be destroyed accordingly. Do you realise that all that you own one day, big ball of fire, do you realise that those that you pour yourself into, if they remain outside of Jesus Christ, they will spend eternity in hell. 
Do you realise that that work that you do each day, that company that you build up, whether it's yours or somebody else's, one day it will no longer exist. It is a dead thing, dying. The only reason it has life is Christ gives it life. We must view our possessions, our work, and the people around us rightly. And much of it is dead. And we're investing so much in it, often at the expense of following Christ as we should. And what else must we do if we're going to keep Christ first? If we're not going to let the dead, sinful nature in us put excuses as to why we shouldn't follow Christ? What must we do? We must view the things of this world rightly, but we must also view Christ rightly. What's the right view of Christ? He is the image of the invisible God. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. He's the Son of God himself. He's the suffering servant. If we view him rightly, we will want to follow him and spend time with him as we should. If we can't see Christ's glory, we will think that chasing other things is better. But if we view Christ rightly, if we see his glory, all excuses die on our lips because of his glory and the joy that we feel in seeing Jesus Christ in all his glory. If you want to keep Christ first, look at the things of this world rightly as dying things, but also look at Christ Jesus. Yes, his glory is veiled. This man, it was veiled to him. He couldn't see who was right before him. And we must continue to look at Jesus Christ and understand who he is and who we're passing up when we don't go to worship him, when we don't follow him as we should. We get glimpses of his glory, but we should hunger for more. That's the reason we started following him in the first place. But we should continue to look at him day by day, week by week, year by year, understanding more and more of his glory so that, of course, he is first in our lives above everything else. And if you consistently, word of warning though, if you consistently give up worship for other things, what must you do? If you find that you're regularly missing church on Sundays, if you're regularly not reading your Bible and praying, you rarely have time for Christ in your life. If that is the case, what should you do? Well, you should fear that you don't have Christ first at all in your life, contrary to what you say, and that you won't eat at his banquet in heaven. And so what should you do? You should fear and start following Christ today. All that Christian profession that you've given in the past, if you find that excuses are always made as to why you can't spend time in worship with him, if you see that happening regularly, then sweep it all away as deadness, all those professions in the past, and start looking at Jesus Christ rightly now. Start looking at the things of this world rightly now and trust in him and see his glory and long to see more of it. Let's come before Christ now in prayer. Lord Jesus, we praise you as the Son of God. Lord, we praise you as the King of kings and Lord of lords. We come before you this morning and we ask that you would forgive us for putting other things first, things before yourself. 
But Lord, we thank you for opening our eyes to the truth about the things of this world and the truth about yourself. We ask that you would help us by the Spirit to view this world rightly, to see the dying nature of it, and to view you in your glory, to see the, that you are the one who gives eternal life. And so, Lord, we pray as you do this, help us to view the world rightly and view you rightly. We pray that we will not be able to fathom the thought of giving you up for anything else. And, Lord, if there is anyone here who is still making excuses as to why they shouldn't follow Jesus, send the Spirit to open their eyes now to the truth about whatever is first in their lives so they see the dying nature of it. And, Lord, we pray that you'd also send the Spirit to open their eyes to the truth about Jesus and they would see him in his glory and desire to follow him and trust in him by the power of the Spirit. And we pray these things in your name. Amen.